Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. together and I have. It's great to see so many of your faces back together again. Um, this is this Sunday we've traditionally called at Southbridge Vision Sunday. Let me tell you why that is. It's because over the summer we've gotten the feel for how this community works. And it's not that y'all haven't been here at church, it's that you haven't been here together at church. And so different people are off seeing relatives and going to the beach and the mountains and various things. And, and we know as a church the vision leaks and it's easy for you to forget why it is we do what we do as a church and to just kind of go through the motions and and talk about Jesus stuff and then kind of keep going through the motions. And so at least once a year, we try to have a Sunday where we remind you why we exist as a church. And you might know the slogan, but we're going to talk more about why that is. And the slogan, the thing that we say that's painted on the walls, on the website, is to get a worship program, is that we're passionate about connecting people to Jesus for life change. And so once a year, at least, we want to ask ourselves, is that happening? Like, you can talk about whatever you want. You can put whatever you want on your website, on slogans and and bumper stickers and all that kind of stuff, but does it really happen? And so we want to take one Sunday a year at least and celebrate the things that God's done over the past year, ask ourselves for accountability's sake even, so we're not just like empty words that we're saying, is this really happening? And so at the end of the service today, you're going to get a handout that's a little letter from me. It's going to point you to a video on our website that's going to be our annual report. It's going to give you some behind-the-scenes stuff that sometimes you don't ever think about, you know, staff members and budgets and different things along those lines, but then really celebrating how God's been changing people's lives. Amen? And if you think about, just thinking about a year, think about how long that is. I was talking to my wife the other day, and I said, you know, we moved into this campus in December. She goes, this past December? Like, yeah, yeah, this past December. She's like, that seems like a long time ago now. And you think about all that's happened. Like, we moved into this campus in December. That was, that was not even a year ago, FYI, December, as busy as our lives have been and all the things that have happened. But just that, that in itself was something to celebrate. Amen? And you think about what happened in, in, in two churches coming together in June of 2018. Two churches came together with a supernatural unity. Like, that was miraculous what took place. I've never been a part of something like that. I don't know if you've ever been a part of something like that, but two churches with different theological backgrounds coming together with a, a divine, that's, the, that's an answer to Jesus' prayer, by the way. Like Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that his believers would be one just as he and the Father are one. And then he says, so that the world would know that you sent me through our unity, that the world would know the gospel message that, that the Father sent the Son to die for them so they could have a relationship with the Father. And we saw a tangible expression of that when those churches came together. Then you think about some of the other just awesome stuff that God did. We burned the mortgage that Sunday, and we're debt-free on this property. Yeah, you can give the Lord a hand for that. Here's what's maybe even more, what's even more miraculous. We'll give him a bigger hand here in a second, is that six months later, we actually renovated this place and moved into it. That's a miracle if you've ever been part of a building program. And, uh, and still we're debt-free, by the way. And so you'll get details on the finances of that. You go watch that video. But I, I don't want to just talk to you about budgets and buildings and things like that, because Here's the reality. Whenever I reflect on Vision Sunday, I think back to when we first came to this, this city, and we didn't come to start a church, for those who didn't know that. We came here to reach the city for Christ. And we believe the church has got plan A for doing that. There isn't a plan B, and so the, the church has got the platform for reaching the world for Jesus. So we started a church, but all we had was a dream. Like, we literally didn't even have people, okay? Like, you're going to get new staff member updates on that video. We didn't know staff. There were no people, <laughs> 
We just had a dream, and the dream was to connect people to Jesus, for, like wave the banner of Jesus and watch him change lives. And here's what it meant. It meant transforming lives the way that only God can do it, which is from the inside out, where he changes our hearts first. It's not about behavior modification. So you can come and guilt people and give like a TED Talk about why we need to be more moral, give more money, have better marriages, but only the Holy Spirit can come and transform your heart so that you actually want things you didn't want before. You'd actually want, it'd be a joy to give your life away for the sake of the gospel rather than somebody told you, well, if you're a good Christian, you better. Like, that's the transformation that we're looking for. That's what we want to see. And we've been seeing it happen. Like, we've seen people trust Christ this, this past year. We, we've had people get baptized. Some of my favorite services have been baptisms. But, but to connecting people to Jesus for life change, just so you know, too, isn't just trusting Christ as Savior. That's the starting line. It's every time you take a step of faith. It's every time you start to grow. And so we've had people trust God with their finances. We've had people trust God with their marriages. We've had people that are just, they're not the same people they were a year ago. And so you're going to hear, when you watch that video, you're going to hear, we've added 10 new staff members. We've got four new elders. What we didn't say is like how many new faces there are here, (laughs) which by the way, a bunch of you weren't here a year ago. And we're glad you're here. So we celebrate you. Amen? Yeah, give yourself a hand for being here. We're glad you're here. And give somebody a hand for being next to you. It's awesome. But many of you aren't the same people you were a year ago, and that means that God's accomplishing the vision. Which the vision is more than just budgets and buildings. It's lives that are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then you think about, like, think about vision always solves a problem. And so if all we do is celebrate what God has done, and I don't want to miss celebrating, but we only have so much time here today because some of y'all just get mad at me if I keep going, okay? I get emails. I got it. So what's the problem? Well, think about the world that we live in today. Has our nation ever been more divided than it is now? It doesn't seem like it to me. Like, I don't know the stats on disunity in a nation, but it's pretty divided. Think about racism and the racism that we see. Like, think about, we're in 2019. We still have racism as a problem. You know why? Because sin's still a problem. Think about what's going on in our world today with abortion is a right rather than a crime. Like, that's problematic. We make decisions based on the economy, not based on any moral principles. You just think about where we're at as a nation, and then you start thinking about the church. Like, think about the church as a whole around this country. Like, how many people have exchanged Christianity and the Christianity we actually read about in the Bible for a religious consumerism? And we just want to go to church and, and touch some knee, like it's like free therapy session or some kind of self-help thing that happens, and we don't want the reality of God. We don't want to talk about the weight of His glory. We don't want a real encounter with the real and living God. That's a sad state. And you think about where we're at in, in RDU. And how, how normal cultural Christianity is. And if you don't know what I mean by cultural Christianity, it's like, well, you're, you live in the South and you're a, a nice person, so you must be a, you believe Jesus died on the cross, and so you must be a Christian. Well, that's just not what we read in the New Testament. We don't really want transformed lives. We'll settle, just kind of put things in cruise control, and you be nice, and I pay my taxes, and I won't swear unless somebody cuts me off in traffic, but most of the time, I'm a good person. It's like, that's not, that's not what the Bible calls us to radical risk-taking faith. And so what if we woke up to what God actually has for us? And so, so then we think about what's next for us as a church. Let me tell you the danger. You think about where we're at as a church. I have supernatural unity that would come in our church, that we'd experience actual miracles taking place of people being saved, people taking new steps of faith, and that we live in a time where there's incredible division, disunity. We're in a culture where people will settle for like just facades of God rather than a real encounter with God. And many of us are experiencing real encounters with God. 
So I don't think that God brought us to this place just so that we can celebrate, so we can become comfortable and complacent. But what do we need? And what I believe that we need as a church first here individually, in many of our own hearts, because it's easy, even with God doing a bunch of great stuff around us, to become complacent and comfortable is we need a revival. So what is that? What does that even mean? Because I say that, and depending on your background, depending on your experiences, you hear different things. Here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about an evangelistic crusade. I'm not talking about like a big tent, let's get a bunch of people together, I'll preach for 90 minutes, and then we'll sing for 90 minutes, and they'll just be worn out and be like, whatever you tell me to do. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Evangelistic revival is not bad, okay? I'm just saying, that's what some of you think of when you hear that. Here's the deal, revival is not for the non-believer. You can't revive what was never alive. Revival's for believers. And it's a reawakening of the soul. Like that one book that I'll point you to as we're going through this series that we're starting is Martin Lloyd-Jones' book on revival. He says this, revival means awakening, stimulating the life, bringing it to the surface again. It happens primarily in the church of God and amongst believing people. And it's only secondly something that affects those that are outside also. Because what happens when God transforms our lives, it naturally leaks out. And so the reason why we're talking about this, there's still lost people in our community, and as long as that's true, we're not okay with that. But the majority of people, 6 out of 10, 65% about that you bump into every day are headed for a crisis eternity, we're not okay with that. But we can come up here and give you like a program, tell you how you need to go reach those people. But if it's not real in your life, that's just religiosity. And what are we converting them to? And so I'm, we're talking about this series because here's what we believe. We believe as elders, we believe as pastoral staff, we believe that if you want to have real gospel saturation in a community, you've got to have spiritual transformation in your own life. And so that's why for the next 10 to 12 weeks, we'll probably take a break here or there, but from now on through Thanksgiving, we're going to be talking about revival and what revival is. Here's what you don't get in revival. There's no formula for it. God has to show up and do something. But what we're going to do today is we talk about vision. Vision is what could be and what should be. Like we know in our hearts that this is possible, and we know in our hearts that things aren't the way that they should be in the church. Because we're going to look at a church that's been revived. It's in Acts chapter 2. It's the very first church ever. So if you have a copy of the Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today. Acts chapter 2, what's happened is what's called Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Is that Jesus, is, he's resurrected, so you got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Jesus dies on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, resurrects, shows he's got power over death. That's an amen moment, by the way. I know you're opening your Bibles. Glad you brought your Bibles, but please pay attention. Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, if you'll clap about us being debt-free, you better clap about Jesus defeating death, okay? Amen. All right, you're paying attention today. I love it. And so Jesus raises from the dead, but then he comes and they're like, well, this is awesome. Now what? What do we do? He tells them, go make disciples. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the way he says, he says, you're going to be my witnesses. Like, you've experienced this. Everybody hasn't experienced this. You've got to go tell them about it. You're my witnesses. Go tell them. But, and then he gives this command. How many people want this command today? Wait. Anybody here is hobby waiting? Does anybody here like waiting? Is there a person that likes waiting? Somebody raise their hand. I see people movement, and I'm a pastor, so I notice all the hands. No, nobody likes waiting. See, I think I was thinking about it myself, and I thought if somebody told, like Amazon Prime, think about how awesome that is. You order something online, the next day it's at your front door. But I'm sitting here like, uh, can I get it faster? Like, could you have it appear through my computer screen? Can I click? Boom, there it is. Package coming through the screen. Somebody and do that. A bunch of you are really smart. Figure that out. Or groceries. Like, you can order your groceries online now. They come out to your car with your grocery. You don't have to wait in line. Wouldn't it be awesome if they just appeared in your refrigerator? <laughs> Click. Boom. Healthy and unhealthy. Boom. Like, there they are. 
donuts that look like asparagus, whatever. But I want to wait. But they waited. There's about 120 of them. So think about that. Think about how many people are in this room right now. There's more than 120, I promise. There's only 120 of them. Jesus spent three years. Jesus, God in the flesh, three years. There's only 120 people. And they're in this room, and they're waiting, and they're praying. And they're praying because you know why? Because they've been given a command that they don't have the power to fulfill. It says, wait, I'm going to send power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they start speaking in various languages. Because there's all these people, it's the day of Pentecost, there's people from all over the world at that point here in Jerusalem, and they speak different languages, but the disciples haven't learned these languages. So it's miraculous, people start going, I can hear the gospel in my own language, these guys don't know my language. How's this happening? They must be drunk. <laughs> this is like the human explanation, right? For what? We've got to figure out a way, but this doesn't make any sense. And Peter gets up, and he preaches the first sermon ever in the Christian church. And 3,000 people, out of tens of thousands of people, by the way, because 3,000 is a huge number. But there was over 50,000 people in, in, in Jerusalem at that time. 3,000 of them turned from their old way of life, followed Jesus Christ. They repent. He tells them to repent. The big idea of his message is verse 36, if you've got your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. This Christ who you crucified, he was the, he's the Lord, he's the Christ, he, you killed your Messiah. That's the big idea. And it says that they were cut to the heart. That, that literally means that it's a picture of a violent blow being delivered. So God gives them a violent blow to their hearts as they hear Peter preaching this sermon from Old Testament scriptures they've heard before. So what do we do? So it was an interactive sermon. It's like if you said to me, I'm preaching to you, and you're like, what do we do now? And Peter goes, repent. Repentance is a Bible word that means turn. Like you're headed in a direction away from God, turn back to God. Go back to him. And they do, 3,000 that day. So the first church is a mega church. There's 3,120 of them, and they literally turn the world upside down. And I could simply say to you, can you imagine 120 people turn to 3,120 people, and it turns the world upside down? That's an oversimplification, though. How does it happen? What takes place? And that's what we're going to see in our passage today. In Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read to you uh, verses 42 through 47, and what we're going to see are four marks, and we're not going to see them all this week. We don't have time. And so we're going to start this week, we'll go as far as we can get, and then, then we're going to talk at least next week, maybe two weeks from now, we'll be talking about the marks of a revived church. And so look at it with me in verse 42, what do we do now? Like maybe you trusted Christ this year and you're like, what, what, what's next? Here we go. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, it's a large group gathering together, and breaking bread in their homes, they got together in small groups too, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God, worship was part of this gathering, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added, to, not they added to their number, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved, literally transformed. 3,000, you get uh, one chapter later, two chapters later, you see 5,000 men. There's about 15, like God's growing them by transformation that's happening in them. And you think about what happened here, it's pretty incredible. Peter preaches his first sermon. Remember Peter, Peter's a coward. He says a bunch of stupid stuff. If you read the Gospels, but then he gets up in front of these people who killed his Messiah he preaches his first sermon, and 3,000 people trust Christ. Like, that's quite a first sermon, by the way. As a preacher, I'll just tell you, that's quite a first. I remember my first sermon. 
It was terrible. Like, you're laughing because you're like, you're not even good now, man. First sermon, can you remember that? I wore a green suit. That's how bad it was, okay? It's a bad start. I had 13 pages of notes. It lasted 15 minutes. I don't even know what it was about. And then some guy trusted Christ. Like, one guy trusted Christ. The guy that I went to high school with trusted Jesus that day. They had 3,000 people. It wasn't because Peter was an awesome speaker. It's because the Spirit of God moved and transformed lives. And now, but now they're going, hey, we had this incredible moment. And I can tell you, like, and then, then, then to change the world, turn the world upside down. But that's oversimplification. Like, how does a moment turn into a movement? What happens? And that's what this passage has told us. Verse 42 starts telling us it's a summary. It's not every detail. And then what happens is that Luke, Luke's the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke, wrote the book of Acts. He's writing these things down. He tells us these summary statements, and then he unpacks them as you go through these sections in the book of Acts. And Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of a section, and verse 42 through 47 gives us a summary of what the church looked like. And if you're going to summarize what they look like, he gives us four characteristics of things that they were devoted to. Look at verse 42. And they devoted, and that word for devotion means it's a single-minded fidelity towards a specific course of action. It's like this is our laser focus, and then he gives four things. This is what we're all about. This is what, these are marks of a revived church. And the first one you see is a hunger for God's Word. If you want to know if you have a revived life, if you think individually, or we're a revived church, do I have a hunger for God's Word? And, and think about when you've been hungry. Think about food that you want. Like there's, time, like, there's times when it's like you can eat, and there's times when you're hungry, okay? You ever had a craving? Let me ask again. Have you ever been pregnant? Right here? Okay. Some of y'all know, like ice cream and pickles or whatever. It's like you had to have it in that moment. Or if you've gone sometime and maybe some of you fasted or for whatever reason you weren't able to eat a meal. Like if you, see in the, if you look in the Bible, there's a couple times where people do 40-day fasts. Like think about that. Can you imagine not having food for 40 days? One of them's Jesus. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 4. And, and he's in a spiritual battle with Satan in the wilderness. And he says in that passage that man does not live on bread alone, but on the very words of God. You start to realize, like, like think about, like, and just our, think about just earthly food. If I put up here on this table today, I was like, if I, if it was like a, you know, have us over to the house, my wife's a great hostess, and she'll like spread out, you know, you'll have like healthy appetizers, not healthy appetizers going in. She has like this, this hard bread she makes, it has the tomatoes and mozzarella on it. I was like, why does anyone want hard bread? But I guess you couldn't put tomatoes on soft bread, so maybe that, I don't know. I don't, she hasn't told me. Maybe she'll tell me after next, she'll be in her second service, so we'll see what happens. Hard bread with tomatoes on it, you know, some pimento cheese, and pimento cheese, awesome. Like, I'm from the north, but I love some pimento cheese. If you ever want to get, I told you don't ever give me a goat. People started giving me gifts. I love pimento cheese, everybody, okay? <laughs> pimento cheese is awesome. You get some like sugary type things or whatever. And if I go to a party like that, I eat enough. So I'm going to show up to the counter. I'm going to be like, well, that's fine. I could, I could eat some hard bread. Let me tell you something. If I didn't eat for 40 days, I didn't need tomatoes and mozzarella. Like if you put a piece of hard bread, I'll be like, <laughs> that's the best bread anybody's ever made. Like it'll be amazing because I'm hungering for it. A lot of us don't know what it is to hunger for something. This past year, I went to Israel and saw a place that, that many believe is the spot where Jesus was being tempted in those 40 days, 40 nights. And one of the things I realized while I was up there is that if that were the spot, you can actually look down and see where the walls of Jericho came down. See, when I was just reading my Bible, in Matthew chapter 4, I would have never thought to myself, oh, Joshua, Joshua, the Old Testament, right there. 
But I think to myself, so Jesus Christ, John chapter 1, he is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus. God spoke everything to existence that is his Word, and then he did these things that are recorded in his Word. And so while he's saying things like, man does not live on bread alone, from the very Word, he could see where God's Word had been active and taken down those walls. Think about that, the power of his Word. Do you hunger for his Word? It says here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves to single-minded focus. And it says to the apostles' teaching. And you say, well, you're talking about God's word. And they're saying the apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching? Do you, do you know for sure that's God's word? Well, let me tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't the book of Acts, okay? Because they are the book of Acts. So they're not studying the book of Acts. They are living the book of Acts. And everything you get in the Bible after the book of Acts was written after the book of Acts, and so it wasn't that. Like, what, what is it that's happening here? What are the apostles teaching? Well, here's the reality. Jesus told them what to teach. He told them in Matthew chapter 28, go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you're the apostles, aren't you going, boom, got that one, check, 3,000 people today. Now what? Do you know the next part of that is? Teaching them to obey everything. Not teaching them to know. There's a difference. Teaching them to obey everything I've taught you. And so, so what are they teaching? They're teaching, if you read the Gospels, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're talking about when Jesus fed 5,000. They're talking about we have a storm this week. They're talking about when Jesus showed up in the midst of the storm. They're talking about when Jesus would pull them aside, he'd tell a story and everybody would be like, what are you talking about? And he'd tell them what he was talking about. And he's not saying just so that everybody knows the stories and remembers my life. Not so they can repeat it someday if they ever stand before God, so they can live it out. And so it is a bunch of stuff that's in the book of Acts. It is a bunch of stuff that comes after the book of Acts. It's also the stuff that was in the Old Testament, which is really interesting. Because you know that because of the context. Peter just preached a message in Acts chapter 2. Do you know what? He didn't just get up and give a TED talk and hope the Holy Spirit blessed it. He opened up the book of Joel, the prophet. Said, y'all want to know what happened here when the Holy Spirit came out? Let me tell you, Prophet Joel spoke about this, that it would happen. It's in the Bible. It's in the Word. He said, you want to know what happened? You you crucified your Christ? You crucified the Messiah? The Bible actually told you this was going to happen. And he goes to a psalm. You want to know why it happened? It's so that God could save sinners. And he goes to another psalm. He goes to the book that they're familiar with, God's Word. And he preaches to them. And if you don't think that's true, just read Acts chapter 2 on your own. Read the parts before where we just started reading. We didn't start reading until verse 42. So, and it says he pleaded with them with many other words. He's sharing with them the Bible. And he's not even just walking through one passage going, here, it's right here in this part of the Bible. It's here in this part of the Bible. And God opened their eyes to things they didn't see before. Because you know that's what happens in revival? One author that I was reading as I was studying for this series said it like this, and I believe we have this quote we'll put up on the, the screen. It says that revival invigorates and sometimes deepens a believer's faith, opening his or her eyes to truth in a fresh and new way. And when I read that, I thought about when Jesus appeared to two disciples on the Emmaus Road in Luke chapter 24, after his resurrection. If you know that story, it's pretty amazing what it says. It says in Luke chapter 24 that he kept their eyes from seeing that it was him. And so God's got the power to close our eyes and to open our eyes to the truth. And he walks with them and he says, what's going on? And they're like, are you from here? Like, how do you not know what's going on? And they start to tell him about Jesus. He is Jesus. They start telling him about Jesus, dying and resurrecting and And then he opens up the scriptures to them and starts to show them from Moses, that's the Old Testament, and the prophets, how all of those scriptures actually point to Jesus. 
Did you know the Old Testament actually points people to Jesus Christ? If you don't know, the whole Bible is about Jesus. It's connecting people to Jesus for life change. So they'll experience spiritual transformation. And you know what he even told the Jews? You're supposed to be a light to the Gentiles and draw people to me. But they didn't do it because of their idolatry. And then he tells the church, he says, you're supposed to be salt and light. That's our vision as a church. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. The people would see our lives so spiritually transformed that they give glory, as non-believers, give glory to our Father who's in heaven. That's been God's plan forever. And so you got these guys in the Emmaus Road and, and Luke, and, and, it's, and then he, he lets them realize that it's him. He opens their eyes, and then they say, didn't our hearts burn within us? As he explained the scriptures, they saw things they hadn't seen before. And that's what happens in revival. Because you can read Bible passages that you've read a hundred times, and God speaks directly into your life. Do you, do you hunger for that? Do you hunger for his word to speak to you? And you think about, think about these people that he's talking to, by the way, too. We're talking about they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. What does that look like for them? Are they getting up in the morning? They're reading their scrolls. Think about it. They didn't have printing press. They didn't have chapters and verses. We put that stuff in later. Printing press came late. Most of these people were illiterate. They couldn't even read. And they didn't have Amazon Audible either. Like, think about that existence. How do you hunger for God's word when you can't even read God's word? I think about talking about things that have happened over this past year, about a year ago. I had the opportunity to go to some of our missionaries in Madagascar. And if you're not familiar with what's going on with some of our missionaries, we've got missionaries all over the globe. We just sent some to the Middle East. We just sent two of our missionaries back to Madagascar, Nathan and Tessa Baker, be praying for them. But God's done a church planning movement on that island. Our missionaries, the Wallers, had gone there to get that work started about 10 years ago. They've had over 200 churches planted, over 10,000 new believers there. And yeah, for sure, give the Lord a hand for that. You're paying attention. I like that. And I got an opportunity to go there, and I was talking to Nathan Baker, who does a lot of the, the teaching there. And I said, what do you want me to do when I come? And he said, will you teach them how to study the Bible? I was like, yeah, I love teaching people how to study the Bible. I just, just think about how to study the Bible. And I said, I'll, I, was, I imagined myself with like a whiteboard, and it's like the three steps of studying the Bible. Observation, interpretation, application. We'll take a passage, we'll take Acts 1-8, and we'll tear it apart. And we're going to talk about all the observations you can come up with. And we're going to talk about interpreting. What does it mean? And we're talk about how do we apply it? What does it mean to my life? And, and I was pumped. Like, I'll just pick a few passages, and we'll just go the whole time on there. And then he said, but here's what you need to know. Most of these pastors can't read. What? How do I teach somebody how to study the Bible? They can't read. And so I literally showed, I didn't know what we were going to do. Like we got there, they're bringing these leaders from all over this island to come together and they're going to like look to me and be like, will you teach us the Bible now? I'm like, I don't even know what to do with you. Like, I don't know. And so we get there and one of the meetings we were in, one of the pastors gets up and he preaches, like one planet I'm preaching, he just starts preaching and he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. He preaches Jesus' sermon. I don't know if that's plagiarism or not. I don't know if that is, but <laughs> preaches Jesus' sermon. And he gets up, and, he, and do you know the Sermon on the Mount? It's in Matthew chapter 5, and Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. And he says the whole thing. I'm like, this guy can't read. How did he memorize the Bible? And I'm sitting in another meeting. I'm teaching these guys, and we're going through Romans. And I'm talking to them. I say, don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God into salvation. One of them stops me in the middle of it, which that was a little different for me too, by the way. <laughs> and he says, this is ashamed why would we be ashamed? Now, this is a guy, former witch doctor, converted to Christ, risking his life to share the gospel, walking miles to go to family members that he hasn't even met, 
So they, places where America's never even been, going there to tell them about Jesus. And he looks at me, and I'm like, do they have sarcasm here? Like, I don't even know if I'm supposed to respond to this question. He goes, the, the missionaries weren't ashamed to tell us. Why would we be ashamed to tell anyone else? Did you want to start to realize as I was in there? culture with them? These people, they couldn't even read, but they had a hunger for God's Word. Do you know why? Because they needed it to survive. And many of us, we don't think we need the Bible to survive. Like, I'm not saying you don't like the Bible. Like, if I asked you, do you believe the Bible? Yeah, you probably got a bunch of copies of the Bible at your house, and like, I'm not saying you're against the Bible, but a lot of us, we treat the Bible, like, you just think about conversations you have in your small groups. How many people have you had in your small group that treat the Bible like it has to meet their standards? Rather than like, uh, it's God telling us how we're supposed to live, His standards? Like, how many people that treat the Bible like it's a guide? Like, here, just kind of, this is some good advice. Like, if you're going to bring a consultant into your office, and they're going to tell you what they think you should do, but you don't have to do it. It's kind of like your call. Like, that's kind of how we treat, like, therapy. Like, if I, I need some inspiration, John Wooden, Michael Jordan, Jesus, like, it's all kind of the same. Tweet it out, like, whatever. Like, we don't need it to survive. Do you know those people in Madagascar? They believe that God's Word really spoke everything into existence. That like Hebrews says, that He holds the universe in place by the power of His Word. That His Word is a lamp to our feet, that it's, it's what we need to survive, not just bread. Man does not live on bread alone, but are you going to spiritually survive in this world? They believe like Ephesians, where Ephesians says it's your only offensive weapon against the devil in your spiritual battle life is the Bible. And so they hide it in their hearts. That's what these people in Acts chapter 2 were like. They're devoted, single-minded, laser-focused to the apostles' teaching, not so they could get smarter and answer questions, but they knew they needed it to survive. And many of us, that's not how we treat the Bible. If you think about what this is, what the Bible is, the truth of this book, and, and what's here, the Bible itself says that it's living and active. That, that shows us this, this isn't just like a book from 2,000 years ago that Dusty's sitting on the shelf and and what do we do with it? I guess we'll tell some old stories and hopefully we'll remember those for some reason that I'm not. No, that's, not, that's why people will read the book and then like give a bunch of their stuff away. Or they'll read this book and then it changes their marriage. Or they'll read this book and it lifts the burden. It's where you can, it's God revealing himself to us and then revealing his plan for your life to us through this book. And so you read this and it's like, just think about, I was doing some reflection this week. If you want to reflect on the Bible, read Psalm 119. Here's a few observations. We'll put them on the screen of Psalm 119. And it's got the verses on there. But Psalm 119 and verse 9 says that you want, how does a young man keep his way pure? How does a young person keep their way pure? It's according to your word, Psalm 119, verse 9. And Psalm 119, verse 28 says that God's word actually strengthens our souls. We're going to, as we get into this series, one of the passages I've been just, just chewing on this week is Ephesians where Paul prays for the Ephesian believers in verses 14 through, through 17, and he prays in order for us to have an understanding of God's love, we must be strengthened. That's an interesting thought. Like, we'll just pour, it's like sentimental, just ooze your love on No, you can't even handle my love. I pray that you'd be strengthened so that you can understand, be rooted and grounded in God's love, and know the height, that, what, what, what um, Ashley was saying when she was leading some worship, the height, the depth, the length, the width of your love. Like, you need to be strengthened for that. God's word is where the strength comes from. Strengthens our souls. It directs our life. Psalm 119, verse 33, and by the way, I'm skipping a bunch as we put these up here. Brings mercy. Psalm 119, verse 41. 
It gives us life. Like, are you born again? Read 1 Peter. It talks about through the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 15. The Old Testament, New Testament, they both say, brings hope. Psalm 119, verse 74. Guides our steps. Psalm 119, verse 105. Keeps us in freedom from sin. Who here doesn't need that? How did you get, how'd you get from your car to this church without sinning? You probably didn't. But, but God's Word can keep you free. We're talking about revival. Here's another psalm, Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. If you want revival, you've got to have a hunger for God's Word. And the interesting thing is that, that many of us, we got, like, think about what, if these, these believers from the first century came here now and experienced what we have, the access we have to God's Word. Think about those people from Madagascar came here. Our podcasts, all the video, like, tomorrow, this sermon will be on the internet. Can you believe that? That's, like, wild. They didn't even have the printing press, first century. We got verses and chapters to help us find stuff. A bunch of us have multiple copies of this, but we don't read it. And you can write me and be like, I read it. Okay, let me share with you some statistics of, of Christians, people that are born again, claim to be born again, followers of Jesus. Here's some stats, recent study. 60% of confessing born-again Christians can't name five of the Ten Commandments. Pick, you got all ten, just get half of them. Nope, can't do it. Most people can't. They claim to be born-again followers of Jesus. 81% don't believe or aren't aware of the basic tenets of the Christian faith. I have a question for the people who did the survey. Then how, did, how are they Christians? You don't know that Jesus died for your sins? You don't know that you, you had God's wrath coming out? You're like, you don't even know that? Then how can, how can you even be born again? 12% think that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. <laughs> right? Like, for real. But it's not just funny, it's sad. It didn't say that these all, like if you were doing a Christian for like 10 minutes, that's cool. Of course you don't know the Bible. But I don't think that's who all those people were. And so how can we have like, I bet most of you have multiple copies of this book at your house. If not, we got free ones we'll give you at the back. Like they're printed all over, it's the best selling book ever, but we don't know it. Like I think if I told you, if I told you, God wants to reveal himself to you. Or somehow you got a message that you believe that God wants to meet with you, reveal himself to you, and tell you his plan for your life. And he wants to meet you at the Sears Tower on Tuesday at 2 o'clock. I'm going to guess you're going to do whatever you need to do to get to the Sears Tower at 2 o'clock on Tuesday. And if you get there and there's a security guard it's like, you can't go up. Sorry, close today. You're going to get in. Somehow, you're going to figure it out. Lie, beg, borrow, steal. I'm going to lie to me. God, whatever, got to do. God wants to meet with me. I'm going to be there. But like, we got his word. He's, he's, I'm revealing, this is how I reveal myself. I don't like how you're revealing yourself. You're not God. And think about, we want to have a deep, passionate relationship with God. We got to have a hunger for his word. I think we're devoted to the apostles' teaching. And then what you see as you start going through this book is they start living out God's teaching. Remember, it's to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And what do they talk about? When John tells us, John tells us, we told you about the things we experienced. You're my witnesses. Things that we saw, First John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we talked about the things that we saw, that we touched, that we heard, that we experienced for ourselves. We shared that with you so that you could have fellowship with God so that we could have fellowship with each other. Because the next characteristic, we're not gonna talk about it today, we don't have time, is the fellowship that they had with one another. 
And it was rooted, and see what's unique about it is it was rooted in God's word. It was based on God's word. If you want to have a revived relationship with God, you've got to get in God's word. I was tucking our girls in the other night, and that's an event at our house, just FYI. Anyway, i got four daughters in my house. It's like you tuck one in, and you go to the next one. It's like, where did you go? Like, I just had, this was done. Like, I'm done. Like, it just gets over. And I'm, I'm walking by one of the rooms, and I hear the lights on. I had already told them to go to bed, and there's this, they're talking. I can hear it in there. And I go, what are you doing? And they said, well, we're, we're, we're in here. We're just, we'll be done in a couple minutes. I was like, a couple minutes? I said, turn the light off. I'm dead. It, like, pricked my pride in that moment. Like, if I said turn the light off, turn the light off. And so I go in there. One of my daughters was reading Psalm 14 to her, one of my other daughters. And you'd think, as a pastor, I'd be like, oh, that's sweet. But I wasn't. I was like, what are you doing? Like, you read the Bible. You had all day to read the Bible. I put you to bed. Like, get in, in bed. My daughter says to me, says back, she says, Dad, if I want to have a personal relationship with God, i got to read the Bible. Like, and then she said, listen to this. She said, I can't have my pastor just spoon feed me. She's like, come on. It's like, come on. I was like a little bit offended by that. A little bit. I was happy about it, but I was a little offended. It's like, because I'm your pastor. It's like, come on. But you got to get in the Word. you got to be in the Word. You want to know what a revived church looks like? And so so P- Peter preaches them from the Word. And then what do they do? They're like, that changed our lives. Maybe we should go back to that. The Bible. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something different. We were planning on, uh, I was going to preach the next Martin. We might be in this for like 16 weeks. I don't know. We'll be, we'll, Acts chapter 2 is, is the revived church. But one of the things you see in revival too is, is prayer. And so what we want to do, what we're going to do as a church right now is we're just going to go to prayer. Maybe you guys, if you can, edit that slide. Just cut out some of the fellowship stuff and put the stuff on there about the word. And uh, we'll have people that will pray with you. Like if you want to pray with someone, maybe you have a burden. Like we talked about last week that you want somebody to carry with you. And we'll have some of our pastors, male and female leaders, up here today. And so if you know, you know who you are if I'm mentioning that. But I want to give you some time to pray today as, as we come in and, and we're landing this service. And, and we'll put some things on the screen but just ask you some of the things we're talking about in this message. Like, do you hunger for God's word? Do you, not just like, do I want the pastor to preach a message that I enjoy or that maybe changes something about me, but like, do you hunger for God to reveal himself to you through his word and then to reveal his plan for your life through his word? And his plan might be different than your plan, but will you submit to what his plan is for your life? So do you hunger for his word? Like Peter says, like, newborn babies, we should crave the word. First Peter 2.2, 2, you want to look that up. And so we're going to pray, we're going to talk to him about that, about our hunger for God's word as a church and individually as we ask him to bring revival in our lives. Ask him to give us a hunger for, for the word so that it would then be, that would be what would ooze out of us. You've got all, this, all these messages coming to you all the time and God's word runs counter to the, all of this culture. It also ends up counter to this culture that's completely divided and he wants us to be one as the father and the son are one so that the world would know that Jesus was sent by the Father. That's his word.